Okay, so greetings everyone. This is Vernon English, aka V. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. It's a, a wonderful Saturday or whatever day it is of the week that you're at and around the world. And first and foremost, let me thank everybody for listening to what it is that I bring. I wake up in the morning and it's the first thing that comes to mind is to have these recordings to update to the people who have already uh, listened and responded. And I'm thankful for those listeners as well. Uh, and to the many, many listeners that uh, will be here afterwards, I'm thankful for it to you guys because I get the liberty of adding more. So once again, this is the book. Um, that I'm recording of the audiobook, Hearing Colors to Kill Sounds. And see, what's happening is I'm giving a audio update as to what I usually have. The early recordings were okay, but it was brought to my attention that they were a bit lacking in the audio department just because of the things that I was saying. The uhs and the up. So I was like, okay, let me do it again, but better. And this is the culmination of that. So basically hearing Colors to Kill Sounds, I had so much material, basically with the endless material that I, I play with on a daily, I get to go through and give you the writing process as well as what I'm doing if I was giving you this material uh, or you a subscribed listener or something like this, you would be privy to it. So I'm just giving you a preview, and yeah, this is basically what I'm doing in my first book of how I saw it, and how basically the stories came about. So, with that being said, introductions all out of the way, this one is a crazy, crazy, crazy subject, and it's called The Sacred Manfred versus The Sacred Femula, okay? Alright, so... We're wrapping our mind around this. We have men and we have men, women. Men in this particular story are called Manfreds, M-A-N-F-R-U-I-D-S. And the Femulas are females. But in particularly, I named them as such just off of namesake, just off of to get us out of this rhetoric of saying men and women and being, being so short with it and with the pronoun. And I wanted to have a story that chronologued or chrono just basically made it of note of this war between men and women on a subtle level. Now, I, I could easily say I'm a feminist and be laughed until I'm blue in the face. Or I could go and say that I just stand for equality, but still be laughed and torn blue in the face. And that comes as, what, 2021? It's a funny statement because there's still a, a gap in how we view one another. If it is not a person, it is something entirely different. I'm pretty sure if Jeff Bezos was a woman we would not take him as seriously versus the woman that is like the CEO of Yahoo or something like that, who we do take seriously. I don't know. There's certain many things in society where there are preconceived notions about a person before we even meet. 
And I find this egregious and I find this starkingly archaic because we are constantly advancing. Our minds are constantly advancing and getting new wrinkles in our brain. So by default, thinking of something that previously was is good at a point of reference, but serves me no purpose when everything is constantly evolving. And that means that I can't judge a book by its cover. It goes back into the original statement. And listen, these are my ideals. These are my views, which constantly change. So please look them as my ideals. These I'm an artist. I'm supposed to think weird by default. I just had to put that in there. Okay, so, yeah, I had these these crazy visions and these crazy notions in my mind about the characters. And the first thing that came to mind is that I wanted a conflict between men and women. And it wasn't a quintessential he-man, woman-haters club or anything like that from the Little Rascals. It was something that... I wanted on a social standpoint to be of note. And so I, I set the stage up for the young one that could see and her guardian. And I set it up with the crow as well and the band of the crow. Now these are two very powerful forces of combat by unwittingly, the unwittingly pair of combat combatants and then the overall just overwhelming purveying force of combat from the band of the crow and both are women and that's the the one young one who's probably like nine or something like this but I do a time gap where she grows up and she basically has visions and so she can see the future but she doesn't speak as well and then her guardian doesn't say anything at all he's He's basically the most stoic person that you could ever even imagine. And almost to the point of him being a mute. And then you have the band of the crow who her genius and her battle prowess is unlike anything our eyes have ever seen. You might as well just call her a general or something like this in the likes of holding everything together gathering thousands and thousands of men who are under her command and then battling these bandits. It's insane and celestial for one and it is overwhelming for someone even as us who has their memories to wrap this around their minds of how to go about doing something like that. It's, it's incredible. So these are two strong female characters and I, and I wanted to make that of note to juxtapose how an archaic or outdated way of looking at us, just not men and women, but just us as a people, as a consciousness, uh, serves. So I had this one guy, and he's a part of the refugees, and, I, and that's why I was saying this. And he basically gathers, as the refugees are all gathering together, they're all walking past, they're all downtrodden, looking down to the ground, the feet and things like this. And he jumps up on a pedestal, literally, and he goes at it. And he basically states that 
everything in Celestial that has gone wrong, everything that anybody could remember, even if they forgot their memories, them literally forgetting their memories is an act and will of God or a God or just some higher being in itself. And this is the first time any of Celestial or even myself has stated this in the story and I wanted this to be of note because I, I never wanted to interject religion in any way, shape or form. I wanted it to be quite stoically out of the way or something that would play the backdrop if not involved in the story at all. But this was an interesting point of putting it in there because I thought it would be a great, great scene or to build up. And so he goes off and he continues and he's like, yo, God did this. God said this. You know the reason why you feeling bad is because God felt like it. And so people are just like still continuing, still walking and still going about their journey. Some don't even know the language that he's speaking. And then others gather and, and just go and listen to this, this person. Not saying it's ridiculous. They're just curious as to why he feels that another being that they cannot see or exist felt the need to do something to them the way the bandits are doing to them. The raping, the pillaging, the stealing, the overall just having a vendetta out on them and they've just woke up type of mentality. So it's basically they're listening to get the information on whoever it is is the next opponent or enemy and to keep an eye out for God. If that was the case, me giving some credence as to why they would listen to what this man has to say. And basically for all of the refugees, it comes off as not overzealous or a crazy statement, but once again, it, it's coming off as that to tell these people this while they're trying to figure out their lives, while they're trying to find something to eat, while they're trying to find refuge and a place of shelter or at least a place to defend themselves if the bandits come back again, or even Oleander, anybody. And the first person that responds, is they, they start throwing things and because they're upset. And, and, and that's, that's why it became that, because they're like, what? How could you even say that? And, and that doesn't even make sense type of mentality for this unimaginable being, the being that created all, if that was the definition of God to them, would punish them because he felt the need to do so and that they were doing something wrong in the beginning as if they were children. It just did not compute to them. And so that's where this one begins, where this one is the sacred man for a versus the sacred formula. And it says, attitudes grew into violent perspectives. The blatant murder of a martyr froze everyone in a matter of seconds. What they stood for was a lost memory, or rather the thought of superior objectives. The differences of the sexes. The notion of forgotten memories, every biped being unanimously agreed that to continue to live in an understanding of the unknown was a need. What greed? Silly thoughts to some, but the mnemonic procession that she, the crow, 
brought to the masses was that the god of creation was most certainly made in her image. Manfred had no place to say, for he was birthed from her on the day of creation. Thousands stood before her notion, countless insurrections. They would hear nothing other than that. Foolish to utter a man for it could craft such a world, probably why Celestial was in such a morbid situation to begin with, the lost memories of every citizen. Ansem stood on the opposite side of the scale, anger swelled from his temples. Not only was their leader, Hugh, manhandled to death for that which they, his followers, believed as candor, this was a call to arms to fight what they believed in, damn the weak if they could not handle more trauma. To him, this was only a holy testament for the man for his true reign in existence. Okay, so basically what you have is Ansem, you have Hugh, H-U-E, and then you have Crow and her band of the Crow. And then you have in the backdrop, which I allude to in uh, basically at the end of this installment of the young one, the young girl who could see, and her guardian. So basically this gentleman, as I stated, states that God was a man, he blamed everything on this. And then Crow stands up and says that he is a liar. How could he do such a thing to these people in such a state? Seriously, people are trying to figure out their lives and he's going about stating that their lives are the way that it is because some higher deity deemed it so that they don't even know. And so then she claims that on the battlefield, she witnessed a goddess herself. That's how she knows a goddess exists. Literally, she gets hit in the head in the midst of a battle and she gets knocked unconscious. And so then she travels to this dreamland and she witnesses this goddess-like entity. And the goddess basically bestows her a battle axe or a, a, what would you call some type of wielding thing that she can bludgeon someone to death <laughs> with golden arms and with wings and with a different embodiment and one could even attribute this to being an angel or a messenger of God but I never allude to this I never give a definition of what a goddess is I never give a definition of what an angel is I never get a definition of what any of these beings are I personally, Celestial is a saving grace because it devoids all of these definitions that we once had or that I once had about anything. Literally, if you forgot your memories and you had a case of mass Alzheimer's, you knew absolutely nothing. You had no books, no CDs, no hieroglyphs, nothing recounting of the past. And you wake up anything is possible by default it could be flying dragons outside angels outside my window and all kind of beautiful women who follow me every day 24-7 wherever I go like it could literally be what someone has in their fantasy it could be the Loch Ness Monster out in any open water it could the possibilities of the impossible have been wiped away is what I'm saying. And so with that comes this liberty of 
wow, that person could be right. How do you know? I don't know, but they're saying it, so it could be a possibility type of mentality. And that's what Crow is saying. She's not just basically, for her, she's stating in an egregious way to him because he started it first. He basically was saying, God did this, man, 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 man. We should do this, man, man, man. And she's like, wait, what? Are you kidding me? I, you haven't even seen half the amount of battles I have. I saw a goddess. She helped me. She's helping me right now type of mentality. And he's like, well, how do you know type of thing? And so it becomes um, a religious standpoint. And I like that. I wanted it to be a conflict that way. I wanted it and I set up the stage to be that way because it was something that needed to be hashed out as reflections of self. And so I continue, it says, as the young Fimula who could see the future spying them all now, measuring the distance a chasm grew, she witnessed the birth of something grand yet senseless. And so that's where, this is where the young one realizes the magnitude of what is to come. She basically has this vision of the culmination of this decision between Crow and Hugh and Ansem and what is to transpire after this argument. And she becomes uneasy from this said vision. This is a child and how I crafted all these characters together in the first book. And it's the reason why I don't call my work poetry or spoken word poetry is because I meticulously took the time to put certain characters in situations and worded them a certain way that they would all be gingerly nestled together to make a grander story and it's the reason why I sit here today and explain to you the process because me watching something on television or me reading something is this inspiration or me soaking in all of these things so that I could bring them to you uh, that much more better so by default she is witnessing a quintessential old school account of well I'm right you're wrong or we both agree to disagree and it's just becoming something grander she sees that this energy becomes something bigger and it, it becomes that it says uh, to him oh it says a warrior's dance to something she grasped better than any of them, the delicate balance of Famila and Manfred. The young one felt so helpless, for she and she alone that day held all of the answers, questions no one asked. And see, I, I put little Easter eggs in there for me because it leaves me the opportunity of how to lead into the next story and how to leave a story in suspense. And I love doing so because it's very Alfred Hitchcock or uh, very Twilight Zone-esque to do so, to leave someone on the edge of their seat and not knowing if the story continues or not, or if the story even continues in the next book. I don't even give an alludement to it. It just ends at the end where she's wondering why no one has asked them or whether this little girl knows the answers all to the origins of what these people are asking about and no one asks and and so then the culmination of violence starts to build up and that's why this beginning the hue 
and Anselm are the ones that are the ones purveying it or pressing this male-dominated view of what God is. And someone from the band of the crow, if not crow herself, gingerly walks up very casual-like and ends one of their lives. And I believe it was Ansem. And that's where Hugh goes in, or actually I think it was Hugh. And Ansem was the one that was the one he was with him. And so he was like a, a follower of what he was saying. And so he was basically upset that someone would kill him for speaking his truth. And so Crow goes on and she's like, well, I'm sorry. He was spouting nonsense. If you want to fight, let's fight. Let's go and battle about what it is that you have to say. If you say God is God and you believe that, where are your 10,000 men? And let's fight about it and leave it at that so that this place will be known for that. And then we just leave it at she and her battle prowess. And that is the culmination of what happens of this story. It begins to spin out of control and spin into this sense of violence where the negotiations were never on the table. The point of having a sense of equilibrium was never on the table. And from there, it spills over into another character's story which was the young one and her guardian. And he's basically say they would hear nothing other than that. Foolish to utter a man for it could craft such a, a world. Probably why Celestial is in a morbid situation to begin with. So basically, the conflict arises that was not even there from the beginning of this conflict between Manfred and Femula. It comes as a curious statement as... This is 2021, and years from now, the things that men and women will be arguing about, it will be hilarious, and to me, quite precariously, something that I look forward to, because then they will have new things to delineate what is men, what is women, what is in between, and from there, having their own choice as to how they can live their lives and not impinge on anyone. Now, for me as a male, it comes as a very stark raving, curious notion to tell a woman to do anything if she is not my girlfriend or someone who has chosen to be so versus me telling them so, if that makes sense. Because of who I am. I'd rather not go, and because of the world is the way that it is, there's so many other different instances throughout history that I can't even go into that goes beyond me and my knowledge of men having this sense of place and women not having that sense of place or not having the choice or decision to make and have that. And I find this very interesting because we all come from women not one could say so and and one could generally say this to a group of men and be laughed at but at the end of the day as an artist you want the things that people love that love to look at 
love as a subject or something in their room and generally the female form is nine times out of ten something that everyone accepts yet we readily discard it in our memories or even discarding it physically to some extent because it's so expendable but it's not and I, I dare say that I never use anything as a muse or even the subject matter of the women in my stories these women are so important and so powerful and and I'll keep this brief so it doesn't turn out into a long exposition but in this day and age I wanted it to be important to as a male to have this sense of empathy it's cool to have an esteemed title it's cool to be this or that but titles come and go time changes but wisdom is something that you can take with you long after you leave this place and if you understand that then you can have a different conversation than a, a debate and that's all I'll say on this it's really much you take that for how you like my words and how you think and what I was saying so that's why I'll leave it and it builds up to the next few stories and thank you all for listening. Thank you for jumping into the writer's chair and sitting down with where my mind is. Uh, these days, I am sitting down, going through all of the books, or excuse me, booklets and, and notes that I left for myself because they're everywhere. And to chronologue what it is that I want to put in the fourth book and, and how that is going about because I love basically developing these things and as I create I get to meticulously craft them in my mind and that's where the writing starts first and I always love when people ask me well why aren't you writing every day I'm like dude I'm writing every day you don't what you don't see it it's all in my head it's all and then I type it and then I write a note here and there it's a weird writing process that I have and it always comes out true. It always comes full. So once again, I'm inspired to write more. And the more you guys, listeners, respond, the faster it is that I upload. So thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll spend the rest of this day thanking you guys so much. And thank you. And, and please be responding. Hit the subscribe button. I got more stuff. This is the first book. I wrote this years ago. So thank you so much. Peace, peace. This is V signing off.